0: Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll
1: tell you why. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for fifty percent off. Visit RosettaStone.com/slash/StarTalk. That's fifty percent off unlimited access to twenty-five language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your fifty percent off at RosettaStone.com/slash/StarTalk today.
2: Welcome. Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. This is going to be a Cosmic Queries edition on the subject of mushrooms. We're going to find out where they come from, what they're doing, and why, and especially what is their relationship to humans. And I got Matt Kirshen as my co-host. Matt, how you doing, man? I'm very
3: good, Neil. How's it going? It's been too long. It,
2: Dude. Yeah, it's nice to be back. I, I miss you. And and you're a host of, did I get it right, Probably Science?
3: That is exactly it. Ah, it's got to wait this time.
2: <laughs> Excellent. I'm a one-time guest on your show. Um, emphasis on one time. I we
3: would have wanna... you back in a heartbeat. I, just, I, I, I never want to abuse my... Connections, friendships. Your
2: access privileges. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but I love it when you're out there just uh, bringing science to the public in a whole other way. And you're an important sort of cog in a wheel that we're all trying to keep turning. Oh, I, I so appreciate
3: just, that. We, we definitely I, are doing it in another way to uh, the people who really know their stuff.
2: And even if it's only probably science, I'm still, I'm still good with that. Well, Thank I think you. neither you nor I are are, are mushroom expert, although I've eaten a few in my day. But that's uh, so very we,
0: true.
2: We combed the world to find one of the world's experts, maybe the world's experts, on this subject. And it's Merlin Sheldrake. Merlin, welcome to Star Talk.
4: Thanks for having me, Neil. It's good to be here.
2: Yeah, so that accent, that places you right in London right now, is that where you're coming from? That's right. So, so you're an ecologist, like a mushroom ecologist. You're also author. Uh, your book just came out in paperback. I think it, uh, the hardcover came out last year. But often paperbacks do much better than the hardback. So this will be anyone's chance to pick this up. And, and you can't miss it. If you, you want this book, if you, if you love mushrooms, even if you don't love mushrooms, but wonder what the hell are those things coming out of the ground? <laughs> Entangled life. How fungi make our worlds change our minds and shape our futures. That is ambitious, dude. Uh So before we get to our, our Q&A with our uh, fan base, I just want to sort of lay some groundwork here. So if you can tell us—oh, but just— Sorry, let me finish your pedigree here. You've got a PhD in tropical ecology from the University of Cambridge, right? And you specialized in the underground fungal networks in the tropical forests of Panama. This is just so exotic and like so fun. But uh, maybe I'd do this if I weren't an astrophysicist. So can you just answer the question, what the hell is a mushroom? <laughs> because it's does, it doesn't have leaves. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have photosynthesis. I think most people don't know what they are. So please, illuminate us.
4: So mushrooms are the fruiting bodies of fungi. And fungi are a kingdom of life. So that's as broad a category as animals or plants. Um, So fungi are um, a much bigger um, world than just mushrooms. Only a few fungal species, a few tens of thousands, produce mushrooms. But most lived their lives as branching, fusing networks of tubular cells known as mycelium. Wow.
2: So, so when did, you know, when I grew up, there was, there was no mushroom kingdom. All right, that's how old I am. So when did mushrooms decide <laughs> that they should they, be They got kingdom? together as they do. They got together. And said, <laughs> In their networks. I, I missed that memo. When, when did that happen, please?
4: They, um, well, they won their independence taxonomically speaking, in, in the late 60s. <laughs>
2: wow, so that's not quite in the textbooks that I would have had, because that's how old I am. Interesting. And so what were they considered before they were their own kingdom? Just plants?
4: Yeah, so unglamorous lower plants.
2: Lower. See, back then, everyone was putting
4: higher and lower. They always got
2: to rank things that way. That's just, that's that's not, that's not right. I think <laughs> they do that. <laughs> um, and so... But but it's nonetheless a plant. I mean, it grows out of the ground. So when I think of the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom, you're saying now the word plant does not include these spores that rise up out of the ground
4: that we call mushrooms. That's right. So fungi are more closely related to animals than plants. And they also behave really? more like animals in their um, nutritional strategies. They don't ph- plants photosynthesize. They, they build the energy that they need from the sun and carbon dioxide in the process of photosynthesis, but animals have to find food ready-made in the world, which they then digest, and fungi have to do that too. So they're what's known as heterotrophs.
2: Now, I think I knew that about their relationship, but I knew it only sort of indirectly. When I looked at the tree of life, what I learned was that the common ancestor between mushrooms and all animal life split later than that common ancestor split from green plants. And that blew my mind. Because I think that allows me to say what you just said—that mushrooms and animals are more closely related than either of them are to green plants. That am I allowed to say that upon knowing this about the tree of life? Yes. Damn. Yeah. Okay. So now, so this is so they grow, and and but they also, uh, and we can eat them just as food, or we can ingest them. <laughs> Who's who did the experiments to find out? that mushrooms can affect us psychologically? Is someone just going there? How does that work in practice?
4: Well, it's a good question. So, the until the um, early part of the 20th century, there are only a few pockets of humans on the planet knew that some species of mushroom produced uh, psychoactive compounds and would eat these mushrooms as part of their uh, ritual and uh, spiritual practices. That knowledge then spread to the West. Um, and... After that point, this handful of tropical species you know, from Mexico um, were known to produce psilocybin mushrooms. But, but once that became common knowledge, then people started to look all around the world. And now over 200 species of fungi are known to produce psilocybin. And, and it's very interesting, that process, because you know, how, how do you know? Um, people test them. Psilocybin bruises blue when you, um, when you crush the, the mushroom. And so you can sometimes have a clue from the color. You can have a clue from which species are closely related to each other or not and which ones you might reasonably expect uh, to be trippy. Um, but uh, there are always some surprises. So this, this chemical, psilocybin? Psilocybin. So
2: has that been, has that been um, isolated so that now you don't actually have to grow the mushroom, you just get it out of somebody's laboratory?
4: That's right. It was actually first isolated and named by uh, Albert Hoffman, the guy who discovered LSD. Um, but now in many of the studies that are being Carried out, they use pure crystalline psilocybin produced in a lab.
2: So he discovered it not while he was under the influence of LSD, presumably, because that completely messes with your capacity to think.
4: Well, <laughs> I, I interpret mean, interpret reality. I, I haven't heard that he was on LSD while he was taking it, but you never know. <laughs>
3: so, so how complicated is it to synthesize? Yeah, can we just do that again, okay,
2: like in my kitchen? What do I need? Well,
3: you need, some, you need I, some. I would have thought that the easier way to get psilocybin in your kitchen would be to find a mushroom that has it rather than. Setting up the lab, but maybe I'm wrong. I, let's ask it. No, I have
2: a big chemistry kitchen. You don't know. You
3: well, that's don't know that's what very I true. I, I I'm talking about my ki- the average person's <laughs> kitchen.
4: Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely true. It's easier to grow them, grow the mushrooms, than it would be to set up a lab and, and go through all the analytic procedures required to isolate, uh, synthesize, and isolate the molecule.
2: Mm. So tell me about uh, this, and then we'll go straight to questions after this, because I'm just so, I just want to lay some groundwork here. This uh, mycelium. Uh, so I, I hosted this series on uh, Cosmos. And we spent an entire episode, most of an episode, talking about the mycelium. But at the time, I didn't uniquely associate it with mushrooms themselves. I thought of it as just sort of this plant network where all the plants are sort of communicating. Um, But are you saying mushrooms have their own mycelium or they participate in a larger mycelium of
4: the plant kingdom as well? So mycelium is a fungal talent and not a plant talent. And so... Fungi make mycelium. Some of those fungal species produce mushrooms that we see. Many of them don't produce mushrooms. Um, These different fungal species, whether they produce mushrooms or not, um, some of them will relate to have relationships, intimate trading relationships with plants. Uh, And so plug into plants uh, and they exchange nutrients. Um, and some mm. of those fungal networks can plug into multiple plants at the same time, and those plants are also promiscuous they can plug into multiple fungal networks. And the result is shared, overlapping networks of plants and fungi. And that's what's referred to um, by the wood wide web. Uh, I think what you meant there,
2: <laughs> the wood wide, the wood wide web. <laughs> I think that's what it was. Yeah,
3: I'm curious about something. Just um, I, I have the, we have this impression that uh, fungi just sort of spontaneously appear. Uh, because, you know, if, if you leave food in the fridge for too long, it gets moldy. Um, I once lived in a pretty grotty shared house where we broke the toilet at a party. And then uh, a week later, because no one fixed it, there were mushrooms growing out of the carpet. So that kind of thing can happen. Uh, how many spores of fungi are just generally in the air all the time? Because there must be the spores originally for them to then land on something and then start to grow.
4: Lots. Um, in fact, <laughs> fungal spores... <laughs> exactly how many? Lots. <laughs> that, well, yeah. I mean, so I've got a number if you want. The, um, 50 million tons of fungal spores uh, are produced and released into the air every year, which is the weight of 500,000 blue whales. Uh, and these spores are, are such a large presence in the, in the atmosphere that they can, um, they can precipitate the water droplets that go on to form clouds and rain, so they can change the weather.
2: Wow. Um, okay, just in case people don't know, uh, you can more readily... Generate a raindrop if there's something to nucleate the condensation on, and that it greatly enhances that uh, process. So, yeah, so I I didn't know. So, it's raining mushrooms, is what you're telling (laughs) us.
3: I'm I'm glad I asked that now because that was a hell of an answer. That was, yeah, that was great. Let's go to
2: questions, Uh, Matt.
3: All right, well, well, there's a couple that Neil's already touched on with his questions, but I I just want a slightly more specific answer from uh, Teresina Rojas's question. What are the differences between plants and fungi, and then and then also which ones evolved first? I believe the answer to that is mushrooms evolved first, and fungi evolve first.
2: No, plant, plants. I think
4: so. Right. First, first. He does... Well, let him answer the oh, question.
2: Sorry. Yeah, that w- it would be the other <laughs> okay, way. Okay, Matt problem. and I agree to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Merlin, go for
4: it. Um, so, so plants uh, photosynthesize. Fungi don't photosynthesize and have to find food and digest it. Um, And so what are they eating? What what, what is the food? Well, they can eat many things. They're the great decomposers of the planet. Um, They underwrite much of the regenerative capacity of the biosphere because of their voracious appetites. So um, wood, for example, if fungi didn't decompose wood, then the earth would be piled kilometers deep uh, in unrotted forests. Um, But they can also eat... All sorts of unusual things. There's a specialist mold that lives in Canadian distilleries off the vapors evaporating from whiskey barrels as they age. Um, there's, a, there's a fungus called the kerosene fungus, which lives in the fuel tanks of aircraft. Uh, so they have uh, they have a wide variety of different appetites. Wow!
2: You know, they, if they wanted to, they could just be our overlords, from what you're describing here.
3: Yeah,
4: totally, I mean... or, or underlords. <laughs> 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 well,
3: that that does connect a bit to uh, Low Ruzzy's question. starts with very nice things, saying big fans of the show, and then asks, mushrooms are not only very resilient to extreme conditions, they also have the ability to spread even when they're technically inactive and to thrive when conditions become bearable again. In that respect, do we know if mushroom spores can survive the vacuum of space? And if yes, can we imagine them seeding distance planets and making a better job of surviving than the human race?
4: (laughs) So fungal spores are really tough. And um, and some of them can survive these um, extraterrestrial conditions. Um, other types of fungal organism can too. Lichens, which are a symbiotic organism, a, com- a combination of fungi and bacteria uh, and algae, they can. Um, they're some of the hardiest organisms known. And when they're taken to extraterrestrial conditions, uh, they're suspended on the outside of the International Space Station uh, in trays known as the Expose facility. Um, but they're. They, they dry out uh, very quickly, of course, in the vacuum of space, but then they can withstand the radiation and the temperature swings. And when you bring them back to Earth, they rehydrate and, and, and get on with living. Um, so there are different aspects of the fungal kingdom, that, um, different parts of the fungal kingdom that can, can withstand these, um, these extreme conditions.
2: So they don't need spacesuits, is what you're telling us. No, no. Actually, I didn't know the space station had sort of an outdoor tray for for, for, for the vacuum of space experiment uh, lab. Uh, I I didn't know that. Well, they've also Uh, also
4: tested them in the Mars simulation facility um, where -hmm. you can just put them in a box and turn on Mars and you can just dial Mm -hmm. up or dial down the the radiation um, to test Mm -hmm. them to the uttermost limits of survival. Pretty useful.
2: Man, I have a whole new respect for mushrooms now. (laughs) Damn. Okay, Matt, keep them coming.
3: Okay, so Alec asks uh, Alec from the Oregon coast says hi from there uh, and hope we're all doing well. And how long have fungi been on the Earth? And does that give a glimpse into what prehistoric does that give a glimpse into what prehistoric animals might have eaten?
4: Mm. So, um, general consensus from fossils and from looking at the DNA is that fungi have been around for just over a billion years, but. Mysterious fossils um, bearing an uncanny resemblance to mycelial fungi have been found in lava deposits dating from over 2 billion years ago. Um, And it's not clear whether they were true fungi or not, but they certainly look like fungi. And if they were fungi, it would totally upend everything that's thought about the the history of multicellular life.
2: Mm. And so, but do you think uh, mushrooms would have been a part of early animal diets?
4: Oh, um, yeah, for sure. I mean... I don't see why animals uh, would neglect these nutritious, um, delicious organisms growing within easy reach.
2: Would an animal, knowingly, an animal not human, knowingly eat a mushroom that has psychedelic properties?
4: It's a very good question. I was talking to Michael Michael Bug, who runs the um, toxicology reports for the North American Mycological Association. And he has a number of reports of dogs that watched their owners picking psychedelic mushrooms and after watching them would also eat the psychedelic mushrooms and, and um, would appear to be under the influence. There's only one example of a cat that repeatedly ate its owner's psychedelic mushrooms and, and appeared to be bemushroomed mushroomed in his words.
2: See, I think, I think cats are always eating mushrooms based yeah, I, on the behavior patterns that I've seen. I have
3: no idea how you would tell with my cat whether he's taken any <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs>
2: Before we go to break, let me just uh, understand this: uh, the pronunciation of the plural of fungus. Uh, I, I, I've heard fungi and fungi.
4: Fun, how do they? How do the Italians say it? The Italians say fungi. Um, fungi. I say fungi, but people say fungi. People say fungi. Um, it's really up to you.
3: Oh, okay. I'm glad to, to hear that because I think I'm, I've said I'm, I'm, at least three different versions in the course of just the last fifteen minutes.
2: I, so, I will do as the Romans do and call it a fungi. Is that correct? Fungi. That's what I'll do. I don't know about Matt. I don't know where his allegiances are, are found, but I'm, I'm going with fungi. <laughs> and just before we uh, cut here, I just want to finish out some of your resume. Uh, it's interesting here. You're on the board of the advisory board of the Fungi Foundation. That's great. That just sounds <laughs> <it's> like <laughs> is that on a business card card, you know. <laughs> Uh, advisor to the fungies, you know, <laughs> it just—it just sounds so, so uh, otherworldly, if, if you will. And the Society for the Protection of Underground Networks. What do you do there? Prevent people from putting pesticides or something or herbicides? I, I didn't know the underground networks needed a lobby. You know, lobbyists.
4: Yeah, well, part of it's just mapping the you know, mapping the networks as around the world. Um, what type of fungal networks uh, and fungal networks interacting with bacterial species and with plant species um, do you find in different places? Because obviously, uh, we can't know what damage we're doing until we know uh, what's there. But it's very clear that we will be damaging these networks uh, with,
2: with. But it doesn't feel like they care about. I mean, well, I mean, not speak for them, for the mushrooms. Let me just say broadly. If they are all over the place, then why should it matter to us if we dig up some ground over here and not over there? I mean, what is what is it you're actually trying to protect?
4: So, uh, many fungal networks enable plant life. Plant life would be inconceivable without the fungi that live in their roots, without the fungi that live in their leaves and in their shoots. And in fact, plants would have, wouldn't have evolved if it hadn't been for their relationships with fungi. So, if we depend, uh, say, on an ecosystem, a forest, for various reasons, um, then, and we kill all the fungi in that forest. There by, it is. Then, it. We're, then we're making a trouble, trouble for ourselves okay. and for everyone else who lives in the forest. So um, there are lots of reasons to... So some, some fungi are, are able to withstand uh, intense conditions, but many fungi uh, aren't. And so um, it's for these fungi that uh, we need to be mindful.
2: Got it, got it. Okay, and that's part. this is the perennial challenge of anything we do to the environment because one thing depends on another, depends on another, and ultimately comes back to bite us in the ass, right, so.
4: Exactly, uh, and, the, and the most worrying worrying things are the unknown unknowns. Uh, and there's so much of fungal life we don't understand. There's so much of microbial life we don't understand. Um, and so we're in a kind of a race to, to just to get a picture of what every, everyone's doing so that we um, can avoid making even more catastrophic mistakes than we have.
2: That's already. why we have you. okay. <laughs> So let's take a break here, and when we come back, we're going to find out more of what our fan base wants to know about mushrooms, their psychedelic properties, and anything else that mushrooms have been hiding from us for a billion years on StarTalk.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx,
1: PXG.com slash StarTalk, code starttalk.
4: Hey, I'm Roy Hill Percival, and I support StarTalk on Patreon. Bringing the universe down to Earth, this is Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson.
2: We're back. Star Talk. cosmic queries. We're talking about mushrooms. Everything you ever wanted and never wanted to know about them. <laughs> it's going to happen <laughs> in this show. Uh, I got with me my co-host Matt Kirschen. Matt, what what's your your uh, social media handle that you want to put out there?
3: Oh, uh, at Matt Kirshen, uh on Twitter and Matt underscore Kirschen on Instagram. But I very rarely use that. Twitter's the one to look at.
2: Okay, Kirshen, uh K R
3: K I R S H E N. But if you um, if you just if you're not sure, just bang anything close to that into Google, and it'll find me.
2: That's very confident of you.
3: Okay. There just, just aren't many of us. There's, there's very few <laughs> Matt Kirshens in the world of any spelling. You, you and Google go way back. I get so, it. Okay.
2: Uh, so for this mushroom expertise, we've got Merlin Sheldrake, who's got a book out uh, just now in paperback, Entangled Life. How fungi make our worlds change our minds and shape our futures. This is an audacious title. I'm loving every minute of it. So Merlin, uh, great to have you. Are you active on social media as well? I think I saw you have a Twitter handle, Merlin Sheldrake.
4: <laughs> yeah, and Instagram, Merlin Sheldrake. Uh, and Instagram, yeah. There's no
2: other Merlin Sheldrakes in the world. So You're the only Merlin I know in the world. Did your parents have very high expectations for you?
4: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. Um, they said that they were calling me Merlin after the bird, not after the wizard. But I, I complained that I didn't think they can really um, make that kind of <laughs> distinction.
2: <laughs> so let's, let's let's pick it up. We're we're in the middle of our flow of questions, and these are all Patreon members. We used to only lead off with Patreon questions, and now they own the whole stash. So uh, every one of these is from Patreon members. I just want to publicly thank them for their support. It enables us to do experiments um, that might not otherwise be commercial and uh, thank you for that Uh, it keeps us going
3: yeah and there's some great questions that have come in from the patrons including a couple of people have asked about the this phenomenon of fungi taking over other animals so zach metcalf says um some species of i hope i'm pronouncing this one correctly is it cordyceps fungi uh can infect insect hosts and compel them to die in very specific locations Famous examples are infected bullet ants climbing trees and dying on the undersides of leaves—the ideal location for spores to erupt from their skin and infect more ants below. How do they? How do the fungi relay such specific instructions to its insect victims? Is the electrochemistry of walking and climbing really so straightforward as to be hijacked by fungus?
2: Man, and this—they sound like they—they they sound evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: I mean, that is I'm
2: quite a remarkable sure. thing to do. <laughs> this, this is an evil piece, set of species you got here, Merlin. All right, so what's going on there?
4: Yeah, so first, I, w- I wouldn't underestimate the metabolic abilities of, of fungi. So um, they're metabolic wizards and can do all sorts of extraordinary things. So even if it was a complicated task to hijack an insect and control its behavior with a great deal of precision, which no doubt it is, uh, I wouldn't put that past them. Um, and we don't need to to try it because we know that this takes place. But broadly speaking, I mean, the degree of precision is remarkable. So you can have, for example, a carpenter ant and an Ophiocordyceps fungus, uh, and the fungus will grow into the ant, start growing its way through its body, through its legs, through its cavities. It won't grow into its brain, though, which is interesting. Um, And then it produces whatever it does it produces in the ant uh, an irresistible urge to climb upwards, overriding the normal instinct of the ant, which is to stay close to the ground for purposes of safety. Uh, so the ant climbs up in a syndrome known as summit disease, and then it finds uh, at the nearest vein on the underside of a leaf at exactly the right height for the fungus to fruit, in the case of Ophiocordyceps and carpenter ants, about 25 centimeters off the floor of the forest. And then around noon, the Ant performs a death grip and it grips onto the, the leaf vein um, that Ophiocordyceps has um, has special needs. And um, and then the, the fungus kills the ant and it grows a stalk out of the ant's head and rains down spores on, on unfortunate ants passing below. Um, it grows out of its head? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... Man, so the movie
2: Alien has nothing on this, really, because that's just coming out of your belly. That's the normal place you might find something growing inside of you but it grows out of its
4: head. Well, there are lots of different ways. Lots of different fungi do it differently. There's fungi that infect cicadas and it causes the back third of the cicada's body to break off and uh, for the male cicadas to become hypersexual, despite the fact that their genitals have long since crumbled away. Uh, And the cicada spouts spores from this broken back end of its body as it flies around uh, erratically.
2: Well, we're we're in a cicada invasion now in the northeast of the United States. You surely know that. Mm-hmm. I committed online that I said I would eat three of them when I, they finally.
4: So uh, you might want to um, watch out because the the massaspora, the fungi that overtake these cicadas, and no doubt we're we doing it right outside um, your house. And um, they they do it. They produce psilocybin and also uh, amphetamine. So if you eat enough of them, then you might start feeling stranger than you realized.
2: <laughs> okay, and I might I might have accredited the the. The cicada, but it was really the invading mushroom spores that mm.
4: would have done it to me.
2: That is and astonishing. Thank, that, that's a good heads up there. Thank you. <laughs>
4: <laughs> you'd probably need to eat quite a few before you notice that. I think you'd be safe with three.
2: Yeah, that is not happening. <laughs> no risk <laughs> me eating any more than, I, than I'd than uh, uh, committed. <laughs> so, Matt, keep them coming.
3: Well, a related question from Teresina, who asked earlier, was, is it possible for a, for a fungi to take over a control of a relatively large animal? And to what extent do they influence our own behavior?
2: Yeah, how about mammals, like small mammals, like um, you know, under scurrying mice and thing, you know, field mice, that sort
4: of thing. So th- these fungi that take over insects with this great precision, none of them are known to take over animals, ma- mammals. Mammals are a bit trickier because we have a higher body temperature, which j- tends to put off fungi. It doesn't always put them off, and there are a number of fungi that can cause a big problem in an animal body, in a human body. But there aren't any examples of, of quite such specific um, alter, alterations. There are fungi that will infect you and cause a life-threatening disease and make you feel strange and will change your behavior because it's made you sick, but not that will grow inside you and puppet your behavior um, with the same degree or of precision. Or
3: make position. you climb up a tree and, and scatter
4: <laughs> spores out of your abdomen. <laughs>
3: so, well, so when uh, I was doing that, I can't blame that on any kind of uh, fungi. <laughs> you did that! <laughs> yep, that's,
2: that's, you got to own that one, Matt. That's all you. Uh, so, what well, I got one for you, and uh, I want to pretend I'm a Patreon member now. So, if you ever get what they call athlete's feet, the cure for that is antifungal cream. So, are you telling me, if I have athlete's feet, I have fungus growing in my toes? That's right,
4: on your toes, more and than in your toes.
2: And it's one of these things you study. This is your fault. You, <laughs> you your, your species, your families of species are giving me athlete's feet. That's what you're saying. I,
4: but Neil, I mean, your subject matter wiped out the dinosaurs in big cataclysmic.
2: <laughs>
0: okay, I think oh, you win. got me there.
4: You got me there.
2: <laughs> I, did, I got no comeback on that. Okay, we have an asteroid the size of Mount Everest. That took out a whole seventy percent of Earth's species. Okay, all right. I I, I take it back. <laughs> but that is a kind of mushroom, is what you're saying.
4: It's a fungus. It doesn't produce mushrooms, but it but it is a fungus. Oh, sorry. Mushroom is the fruit, but it's yeah. a fungus. I got gotcha. you.
3: Damn. So so Gordon Patreon patron Gordon Vu asks something related. It says I suffered from jock itch, which I believe is the same. Or I I think that's the same uh, fungus. And the doctor said it was a fungal infection. Does this fungus grow elsewhere besides the human body?
4: You know, I'm not totally sure. This is too much
2: information about this guy's hygiene. Do we really have to find out? um... He puts out his name, and he's telling the world he's got jock itch. It's all science. Okay, Okay, it's for science. Very good, okay. We We have a devoted following, so they're... He didn't even say I have a friend who no. has jockets He didn't even say I that. Think,
3: I think that's worse, though. I think if you know about your friend's Jokic,
1: <laughs> that's a good point.
2: <laughs> what the hell are you doing, knowing about your friend's Jokic? Okay, so so uh, is that the, is it the same species? Because what's interesting, Merlin, I learned is that head lice is a different subspecies of lice than um, a genital lice.
4: So. I couldn't tell you whether they're the same. I suspect that they're slightly different. And I couldn't tell you whether or not it um, it lives in other places. But it's very common for fungi to to be able to live in different situations. If you have an oyster mushroom mycelium, that would grow on a book. That would grow on used cigarette butts. If you, your train is in the right way, it could grow on grains. It could grow on um, logs of wood. So many fungi have catholic tastes. And it's possible, so I can't say um, for sure because I don't know. And um, the, the jock itch species also lives in other places when there are no you give given no to reason spread. to think they'd be different, right, <laughs> right, given.
3: I think it was an oyster mushroom that was growing out of our carpet after a week or so after the toilet was broken at the party. Would that be plausible? It looked. It certainly looked oyster-like. It was a surprisingly large mushroom that had appeared in our house in a place that it shouldn't have appeared <laughs> in this gross place that I lived back in my early twenties.
2: Matt, when you climb the tree, you sport out the, the. I know. The oyster I, mushrooms. We shouldn't have put the tree happened.
3: in the toilet either. That was a. That was another mistake. <laughs> That's the first giveaway right there. <laughs>
2: All right, Matt. Give me some
3: more. Well, so Gordon goes on to actually ask. Uh, I'm curious if there are telltale set. Uh, signs to differentiate between an edible and poisoned mushroom and why are some mushrooms poisonous and others not
2: that's a good question i you know because matt i mean why i mean if if if, i mean a mushroom is a mushroom i guess maybe a mushroom is just not a mushroom yeah, that, they're all different
3: that's always all... been you know i have i've been curious about that because i know there are people you know, mushroom foraging is a big thing people foraging for for cooking reasons and then also people who are foraging for more party reasons but all, in either case the 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 warning has always been well you better make sure you know what you're getting because if you pick up the wrong one then you can be in some real trouble
2: right so we have uh, healthy poisonous and psychedelic so yeah. how does the how does the mushroom kingdom divide up
4: well some mushrooms will will kill you. Um, so you definitely need to know your mushrooms if you're planning to eat them. <laughs> but, um, but there's no... Okay. there's no. Um, but at least
2: they won't kill me by having something grow out of my head. It's just well, a regular old poison. But yeah, I, I mean, I'd they're, rather that they're pretty, than um, be humiliated by having spores come out of my head. I'm sorry.
4: Well, they're, they're, they're pretty deft. Uh, some of them, you will eat them. The deadly poisonous ones, you might eat them. You'll feel pretty, pretty bad for a while. Then you'll get better. And then a day or so later, you'll drop dead. It's called a, a false remission. Um, so they do have their methods, but um, but there's no reliable trait that you can use to distinguish poison f- poisonous from non-poisonous you know, across the board, uh, because lots of the poisonous ones are, are, are poisonous in different ways, often, um, and some of them it's not clear. You know, there's, I had a professor, um, a professor of history of science. I used to go out mushroom hunting with. He had a big collection of mycological texts, and I asked him once. Wait, wait, wait. Matt,
2: did you hear that? I had a professor <laughs> that I once went out. Okay. <laughs> This is, uh, did the professor give you a bad grade and we don't have the professor anymore in the world? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean... Be way, with man. your past tense around us here. I don't know what, what you got going there, but go on. Sorry to interrupt.
4: So what he said was that I, I said, are there cases where the same mushroom species is described by different... Um, books in radically different ways, and he said that there was a book, a, a German guidebook, a um, hundred years old or so, that he had, uh, and it described the yellow staining mushroom, which in English guidebooks says uh, poisonous, don't eat, uh, skull and crossbones, stay clear. Uh, in this German guidebook, it said delicious uh, when fried lightly, yeah. but might cause a light coma in those of weak constitution. <laughs>
2: mild coma I know I mean
4: light coma sounds quite (laughs) fun doesn't it but um, not a heavy one just a light one and and it turns out that it depends on your metabolism some people have the ability to to metabolize these toxins other people don't so even if you can tell what mushroom you're eating in rare cases um, ill people will have different reactions to that very same mushroom it's a bit like plants, you know, plants that will kill you. Some plants are delicious. Some plants people can tolerate. Other or some
2: foods. people are allergic to exactly tomatoes, you know, that sort of thing, I guess, you know. Okay. But that'd be, a, I guess it's all chemical at the end of the day. But it's not a living thing that's attacking you mm-hmm. for having consumed it. All right. Mm-hmm. I mean, in other words, a poisonous mushroom and you uh, dying from eating peanuts because you have a peanut aller- allergy, these are different causes, Correct? Y-
4: yeah, because the peanuts won't kill everyone, but a poisonous mushroom would, would kill everyone.
2: Yeah, an authentically poisonous mushroom. If you mushroom. ate sufficient okay. quantity, yeah. Yeah, yeah, all right. All right, Matt, we've got time for one more before we head a break, and then come to our final segment. So what do you have?
3: So Isaac Lambert asks, how much faster is mycelium in plants, fungi, and trees than the neurons in our brain? I didn't even know that they were faster than the neurons in our brain.
2: Oh, oh. I mean, is and is a neurological analog, sensible here?
4: So, um, some fungi produce waves of electrical activity analogous to the impulses that travel in our nerves, which is a fascinating finding, which um, might really shake up the way we think about um, the communication um, that fungi can can conduct and the way that they connect other organisms together. Um, And so, given that some fungi do produce impulses electrical impulses and um, then when you look at it you have our nervous systems which contain um, long electrically excitable cells and you have fungal networks which are networks of long ex- electrically excitable cells and on a superficial level there are some similarities the neurons in our bodies conduct uh, impulses or action potentials very much faster than those that you find in some fungal networks because remember, not all fungi do this, only some do. So um, there's a big difference in speed. But then again, we have a need for much faster speeds. We live at a faster pace because we're locomoting, we're moving, we're twitchy, twitchy muscular bodies. So so we need that for speed. But the fungi um, may, may do perfectly well without that. Um, without that, because we live in the
2: fast lane compared with mushrooms.
3: <laughs> I think about that.
2: All right, so slip one more in, Matt, before we hit the break.
3: Uh, Teresina asks: Are there any naturally occurring networks of bioluminescent fungi?
2: Hmm. Uh, in fact, I just noted. I was just notified we have to take the break. But let's hold on to that. And I think they call that a tease. Is that right? Bioluminescent chemical pathways. When we return from this break on Star Talk Cosmic Prairie, all about mushrooms.
1: IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And StarTalk Radio listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash Visit IXL.com slash to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.
3: Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential.
1: Hey, it's time to give a Patreon shout-out to the following Patreon patrons, Elliot Frost, Vincent Crone, and Susanna Lobo. Guys, thank you for all of your support. You know we couldn't do it without you. And for those of you listening who would like your very own Patreon shout-out, go to patreon.com slash Radio and support us. <laughs>
2: we're back Merlin Sheldrake the world's experts in mushrooms and he did that on purpose like got his PhD and studied it and everything and uh, so that makes him really useful to people who have their own relationship with mushrooms and Matt apparently you grew mushrooms in your toilet and uh, yeah, that's very, kind of all I really want to know about that any,
3: right any mushroom cultivation in my life has been entirely uh, unintentional <laughs> unintentional. Okay. So
2: what's that last question you had about bioluminescence? I
3: so it. are there naturally occurring bioluminescent
4: fungi? Mm. Yes is the answer. There are a number of species of, of bioluminescent fungi. Some produce uh, mushrooms that, that bioluminesce and some produce mycelium that bioluminescence, like bioluminesces. In fact, um, the first ever submarine called the turtle, which was invented during the American Revolutionary War, a, a, a fungily bioluminescing... Um, bits of wood were used to illuminate the depth gauge uh, of the turtle, known as foxfire, this particular. Wow. Song. Whoa.
2: So we knew about that and how to then exploit it. So so we, early on, you're saying we weaponized bioluminescent mushrooms?
4: Well, I don't know how effective the turtle was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> Nonetheless, not sure. we weaponized it. <laughs> I don't okay. know if it was that what did it, did offer the British, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs>
2: Wow. Okay. Very cool. And by the way, this all sounds like the 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 tree of life mapping for James Cameron's movie for Avatar, right? These are he's trying to come up with exotic life, and he he gets all the most exotic life on Earth and makes that the regular life over there. Except they have like USB ponytails where they can connect and talk to the animals. <laughs> All right. Is that the mushrooms have that too? I just just
3: <laughs> I want to know
4: how quickly they, they will, seem in fact, they be much more our versatile
3: rewards. than I had any idea about before we started exactly, this episode. Exactly.
4: Exactly. Yeah. Well, they do. They grow into plants and you know, they kind of plug in, if you want to use the, the electronics metaphor. But the plugging in involved growing into a plant root, growing in and around plant cells. It's a very intimate. Um, Embrace, and and I guess you can think about that in an analogous term to the way that the um, the, the plugging in happens in, in Avatar. The fungal net, the networks in Avatar are based on on the fungal networks in the in the real world, of course.
2: Scientifically, right? Because uh, James Cameron, you know, he has many movies, including The Abyss, uh, movies where he has cared about the science of what surrounds his storytelling, and then he puts it in as uh, as best as he's able. So keep it coming, Matt.
3: All right. Well. Uh, Chaz Gencarelli, I hope I'm pronouncing your name even at least vaguely closer correctly, asks, why are there so many different types of fungi still being discovered each year?
2: Was that right? You guys are not on top of everything?
4: (laughs) Um, No, so there's an estimated um, 2 to 3 million species of fungi on the planet, and only about 150,000 have been described. And that means that 6 to 8% of the total number of fungal species on the planet have been described. And that obviously leaves over 90% undescribed. Uh, and, and there's so it's a lot of work for um, fungal taxonomists to do, just very basic descriptive work that hasn't been done for a number of reasons. And one of the reasons is because fungi were thought to be plants for a very long time. And so they didn't get a kingdom's worth of attention um, from from biologists, uh, another reason is that they live hidden lives. They live as mycelial networks, which are buried in whatever they're eating. You know, mycelium is how fungi feeds, so they've got to insinuate themselves within their food to digest it. And what that means is that usually um, we don't see so much of what they're doing. So it's harder for us to access. Mm, mm. See, they're doing that on purpose. They <laughs> <laughs> don't want you
2: describing them. <laughs> um, I have the privilege of having a species named after me—a species of frog. And so I looked at the 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 species the species paper the paper that makes it the species, and I was astonished how much measurement went on on the, you know the, the the ratios of the digits in the feet of the frog versus the hands and the eye separation. All of this gets characterized, and I'm thinking, damn, that must have taken a long time. And if you've got like a gazillion species left, I'm not doing it.
3: <laughs> Somebody else to do it. <laughs> but it's, there's it's only the so many leap- TV scientists. So how are you going to ex- even come up with all the names?
2: Exactly. Exactly. So I. Uh, so it's the it's Indirani Tysoni, a species of leaping frog. And so I was very honored by that.
4: Wow. Um, you know Linnaeus and uh, Linnaeus and uh, a taxonomist and. Um, Buffon, the French taxonomist, had a big rivalry in, and both would name glamorous species after their patrons and they would name unglamorous species after each other because they hated each other.
0: So. <laughs>
4: <laughs> the bullfrog was Bouffa Bouffa because Linnaeus sort of he'd get one over on, on Buffon. Um, so, wow, so the question crazy. is, Neil, is your frog... Um, is it a is it a glamorous frog or is it an unglamorous frog? And if so,
2: well, I was just happy that it was a vertebrate. You know, <laughs> there are <laughs> like bugs and stuff, and and slime mold and bacteria. I'm sure those are wanting for names, but at, at least I got a vertebrate.
3: I'm, I'm just putting it out that. there right now. I would be honored to have a slime named after me. <laughs> if, if there's any slime <laughs> scientists there, I'll take any species of any kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> it's noted. We, we you, the request is out in the in the mycelium. We'll see who comes back on it.
3: So, All right, so Matt. What so do you I've, have? I've saved these two towards the end because I, I think they're they're connected and they're a big topic that I uh, I think a lot of people are interested in when we talk about mushrooms and particularly talk about magic mushrooms. So, both Shanker asks, is Merlin familiar with Terence McKenna and his views on magic mushrooms? Could magic mushrooms have expanded the human mind, introducing complex language and culture? To early humans through psychedelic experience. And then Robert Slosser asks, How much of an impact would you speculate has psilocybin had on human evolution? I think they're playing in a similar world. So I jammed those two together. Interesting. Interesting.
4: Yeah. So it's a great question um, without a clear answer. It's very hard to know one way or another when we're going back into deep prehistory. I mean, it seems clear to me that psychedelics, um, including psychedelic uh, mushrooms, have had a very big impact on human culture. Um, and for an unknowably long time. Uh, And of course, culture and nature are are categories that we create, but they aren't separated by an unbreachable divide. Anthropogenic climate change is a good example of how cultural developments in in humans can affect what we think of as the natural world out there. Uh, Terence's claim, Terence McKenna's claim, with the stoned ape hypothesis, was that uh, eating magic mushrooms had caused human brains to increase in size.
2: Or primate brains.
4: Yeah, the pre, pre-human <laughs> brains. Um, mm-hmm. t- this, is, um, this is a big claim. It's unlikely we'll know either way. There's certainly something to be explained. Um, so between three million years ago and 200,000 years ago, when, uh, when we're informed that, what we think that um, homo sapiens first arose, the primate brains that led to us increased uh, by four times, so quadrupled in size. They grew to four times the size that they had grown in the previous 60 million years of primate evolution. So this is sometimes called the brain boom. Um, and it's known this took place, the fossil record is clear. The question is why? Um, there are a number of hypotheses. The brain's a really hungry, hungry organ. It makes, up only, it makes up 2% of our body mass, but takes 20% of our energy at rest. So I think one of the persuasive um, the persuasive hypotheses is that the domestication of fire helped, because once you can cook food, then we have to eat less of it, we have to spend less time foraging, we can supply more energy to a hungry organ like the brain. Um, Terence said that uh, this was uh, brought about by the mushrooms. Maybe, uh, maybe a little bit, maybe some, maybe not. I mean, psilocybin has being shown to increased nerve branching in dishes, in culture, but that doesn't necessarily suggest that it would increase brain size over time in in real-life humans. Um, There are different versions of the stoned ape hypothesis. Some of them suggest that um, the big developments like um, symbolic language and um, other uh, major milestones in in human cognition arose through psychedelics. I think that's more plausible than the brain um, increase argument i don 't understand if it's a
2: temporary condition put on your brain chemistry, how does that make any kind of biological evolution at all so I, I, I think I, so
4: terence isn't here to, to defend it but, I, but what he might say it would be that um, there are epigenetic shifts that would be carried over um, or that the um, that there are cultural changes which then go on to increase our brain size. So if you, you can imagine a hypothetical situation where someone took magic mushrooms, had the idea to domesticate fire, domesticated fire, had cooked food, and then that allowed our brains to increase in size. So it's, it's very... So you're
2: saying this, this chemical can give you brilliant ideas? <laughs> because yeah. from what I understand, the brain is pretty... It barely works as it does, right? Now you're going to toss in some extra chemicals that will alter your perception of reality, and you want to claim that you're now closer to nature?
3: So, so, just, so just, sorry to jump in, but is, is the claim kind of just, I'm trying to untangle it, but the claim isn't that the mushrooms themselves grow the brain, but the mushrooms expand your horizons that make you then think of doing things that then down the line cause your brain to increase in size, is that...
4: So, yeah, so there are different versions of the stand ape. And, and, and so some of them would say that the mushrooms themselves cause an increase in nerve growth, and that's somehow passed on intergenerationally. Um, and some of them, um, I think the more plausible ones, would say that um, the, the experience, the radically altered cognitive experience, the unconstrained style of cognition that you have when under the influence of mushrooms, um, gives you new ideas and behave, uh, invites you to behave in new ways. Um, possibly synesthetic ways, which might give rise to certain new ways of using language or sounds and associating those with meanings. For example, um, have, has that happened to you? I have taken. In other words, psych- have you have you had a deep thought that
2: you pretty sure you wouldn't have had had you not exposed yourself to psychedelic mushrooms?
4: Yes. In a word. Yes.
2: So you'd recommend everyone do it then?
4: No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. Um, why if it, if it made you
2: smarter or more insightful in your own work, uh, why not just rec- why, why not ha- you know have have it over the counter at the pharmacy
4: Well, these experiences can be somewhat unruly, uh, and so you'd want to be sure that you're taking it in the right frame of mind in the right setting um, and some people might have Constitutions that would not agree with this kind of uh, radical alteration in their experience and they'd be wise to stay clear. Other people might need certain kinds of supervision. Um, it's not a straightforward um, process. So I'd be, I wouldn't recommend that everyone, uh, everyone took them. I think many people can certainly benefit from psychedelic experiences, which is why it's exciting to see this new wave of research into psychedelic compounds pick up steam. I get it.
3: Uh, well, there, there is. This isn't one of the Patreon questions, but I know there's been quite a bit of research recently. There's been a fair few news stories that have come out of late in, in terms of how psychedelic treatments might be beneficial for certain types of depression.
2: Yeah, I've seen more articles on that. That's right. So I, it's it's one thing to know that it's there and it's psychedelic, but it's a quite a whole other exercise to take this chemical and see how it can be absorbed up. up uptook into civilization in ways that can serve
4: our needs. Yeah, I mean, the thing to remember is that these psychedelic compounds, whether from fungi or from plants or from animals, they've been uh, really major parts of traditional human societies for a, a very, very long time. And so um, it's not like this is news in the big picture of 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 human existence. Uh, it's just this new way that science is finding to describe, quantify, um, and make sense of these experiences within the framework of modern medical pathology, uh, modern illnesses and treatment programs. All right, give me,
3: again, another question. One final question then, because this is, Teresina mm-hmm. sent in a bunch, and this is the last question that we have. And this is, how can we take advantage of the properties of the fungi network to combat climate change? And can we Good even, one. is Good one. Uh, possibly a bigger question.
2: Yeah, if, it's, if, it's, if the field is in its infancy, in, in a way, uh, there could be so much potential if people are thinking the right way about it. Or you bring people from other disciplines to then help w- explore what applications might exist that would be invisible to someone who's really close to the problem.
4: Yeah, there's an explosion of interest in in fungal applications at the moment, and many of them to do with the ways that fungi can help us adapt to the, um, the climate change problem, or problems, rather. Um, so there are a number of ways you can think about it. Um, there are fungal uh, medicines that can um, that can help humans re- recover from illnesses, but also can help other animals. The mycologist Paul Stamets has done some amazing work showing that fungal extracts can help bees overcome um, viral pathogens and so extend the lifetime of bees and, and beehives, which in turn can help us adapt to changing climates and changing pressures on uh, pollination schemes. Um, there are also... Um fungal materials built using mycelium, which can help disrupt polluting plastics industries, um, can create sustainable materials for use in, in buildings or structures, but also in, for clothing and kind of leather-like material. Um, fungi in agriculture and forestry, we're never going to not need to grow trees and plants, and fungi are fundamental to all plant life. So other ways that we can um, change our behavior so that the plants and fungi can better support each other in these um, changing situations that we find ourselves in. Um, there are fungal foods, are there new types of ways that we can grow, so, so proteinaceous, um, delicious meat substitutes using mycelium, um, which would relieve our dependence on, on unsustainable meat farming. Um, there are many such examples. There are also ways that, that climate change might make things worse in conjunction with the fungi. Um, so, Some fungal pathogens of plants, for example, might be able to move into new areas when climates change and whole swathes of forest might become vulnerable to new fungal pathogens It's already happening. Um, Killing off huge areas of forest, which would then be decomposed by other types of fungi and lots of CO2 will then be emitted into the atmosphere. So it's not a straightforward story about fungal saviors. Uh, Fungi are uh, startlingly uh, ingenious opportunists. And as things change... Um, they will be able to move into new niches and um, maybe sometimes that will be good for us and sometimes less good.
2: Mm. Do you have any parting thoughts for us about uh, as we go forward? Um, any advice, any uh, bits of wisdom that you have gleaned from this um, mycelial madness?
4: Well, you know, Neil, one thing I'm, I've often thought about, because you know, these fungal networks are, are astonishing and and. and raise all sorts of questions about how life works. Um, but one of the things that's been interesting recently, maybe you'll be able to tell me a bit more about it, is that the cosmic web, the very structure of the universe, is now thought to be made up of big filaments of gas and galaxies arranged in clusters linked together in this way. So I would say, um, as below, so above, when I'm looking at these fungal networks and thinking about the structure of the universe. Presumably, you would say, as above, so below. Um,
2: well, okay, I can, I'm happy to say that they look alike,
4: all right, the, the cosmic
2: web that they speak of, but a web implies some coherence to what's going on, and in this cosmic web, the distances between nodes is so far that even at the speed of light, an appreciable fraction of the age of the universe has to go by before it could communicate with another. If you if want to use the word communicate, so for so we have we have galaxy clusters that are so large. They're clearly together, but it can take the age of the universe for any one galaxy to cross and get to the other side. Well, that's really, that's the slow boat, all right? So it, it's, not it's not legitimate to think of these as functioning systems if, if we're limited by the speed of light, of course, as we expect that they are. Whereas your mycelium and everything else that's sort of terrestrial or smaller, yeah, you can have interconnectivity. On the timescale of the lifespan of the organism you're talking about, so just because things look the same doesn't always mean they are the same. And I would say in this case, that's one of those examples. Yeah,
4: I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't think for a moment that the, um, that the cosmic web and the oyster mushroom mycelium were, were the same. But I like. It would be cool if they
2: were. If the mushrooms, in fact, were communicating with the galaxies. <laughs> so Matt, that's. We just give up at that point. <laughs> We've got we got no hope as humans in this universe. The, the day we discover that mushrooms are controlling galaxies. All right, guys, we got to call it quits there. So Merlin, thank you for coming on to Star Talk uh, all the way from London. And we're going to follow your work. And just in case you discover some new mushroom and you want to tell everybody about it, you can do it here first. We can. Get, we got some new got some new fancy mushrooms. Got new properties. Uh, we'll 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 take that interview, and Matt, always good to have you. Dude. Oh, it's
3: good to be here. And I, I'm fascinated. I want to know more about. I'm, I'm getting this book because I feel like we've not even scratched the surface. I mean,
2: no, of course not. So of course not. Right. it's not possible for something that complex. Uh, all right. So yeah. So uh, Merlin, when the mushrooms become our overlords, I think. See, Matt. I think he's practicing for that so yeah. that he I won't think, get. Con- I think they might already keep him have. as their pet. And they'll eat the rest of us. You see, that's how I think they've already
4: infected me, which is why I'm here talking to
2: you. All right, we'll close it out there. This has been Star Talk, and I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. As always, bidding you
0: to keep looking up.
1: Pandora makes it easy for you to find your favorite music. Discover new artists and genres by selecting any song or album
0: and we'll make you a personalized station for free. Download on the Apple App Store or Google Play and enjoy the soundtrack to your life.
4: At Capella University, you'll get
3: support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate,
1: pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.